you who might be joining us by the internet on Ustream, uh, YouTube, and Sermon Audio Video. Thank you for joining us this morning to praise our Lord. I want to say welcome everybody here at Grace Church. And if you all would stand, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Number 42 in your hymnal. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Ye chosen seed of Israel's race, ye some from the fall. Hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. Hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. Let every Ball. To him all majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all. To him all majesty ascribe and crown him can be seated. We're going to have some announcements and then we'll do some more singing. Good morning. I want to welcome you here to Grace Church today. A few prayer requests to make mention of, one being uh, my daughter Lauren who is uh, pregnant and also having some minor complications. Uh, She's in the Murray Regional Hospital right now having some tests run and whatnot. no news actually is good news. So as of today, there's been no changes. Uh, the heart, baby's heartbeat remains strong. Uh, everything right now, she's not leaking any more fluid, so that's good. Uh, we pray that the Lord be pleased to just stop that leak, heal her up, get that baby baked and ready to come out of the oven. I told my son-in-law, I said, sounds like to me he's ready to hit the ground running. So... Yeah, I think he's going to be one to hold, try to hold on to. is going to be hard to do. But anyway, just be in prayer for them, uh, be in prayer for my daughter as well as my son-in-law as they deal with this situation, as well as for my wife and I. There are quite a few things that we need to help them get done uh, before his arrival. So we also want to continue to pray and lift up Shirley Murphy, uh, who's suffering from spring allergies as well as from a torn rotator cuff. 
Also for Carl and Ruby Perry, be pleased to lift them up before the Lord. I also want to continue to remember our sister, Judah Petri and her husband, Calvin. Keep them in remembrance before the Lord as well. I want to continue to pray for uh, Pat Jackson. Uh, she will see her orthopedist on the 17th and perhaps set a date for her left rotator cuff surgery. George Bishop has had no change in his post-shingles pain, uh, but his foot infection is improving. He is to see his doctor later this month regarding his bladder cancer. Also, Michelle George, pastor or wife of Pastor Gary George, to have some work repeated uh, this next Monday, some lab work. Depending on the results, she may have to have uh, a repeat PET scan, so be in prayer for them. Uh, we pray to the Lord for the good news concerning Elder Turner's sister, Debbie. Uh, she had a biopsy of her thyroid, which revealed she has, uh, does not have thyroid cancer. And we praise the Lord and thank the Lord for, on her behalf uh, for his mercy to her. So let's give the Lord praise for that. I want to continue to also remember Dorothy Vondren and her, uh, she had a cardiac stress test this past Wednesday. We don't have an update on her as of yet. Just be sure and remember her and her husband before the Lord. Also continue to remember uh, Howie Smith as he serves in our military. Uh, continue to pray for Ken Humphrey's father-in-law who is back in the hospital after being diagnosed with a MRSA staph infection in his bloodstream. Um, we also want to make an announcement that our Sunday school is now being offered for adults and children beginning at 10 a.m. Also want to make remembrance to everyone about our uh, plans to join us for to, as we host Providence Theological Institute's New Covenant Theology John Bunyan Conference. The conference will run from Sunday evening, June 20th through Wednesday evening, June 23rd. The conference messages will survey Paul's epistle to the Galatians uh, with a conference theme of breaking free and staying free. Also, if you'd like to make uh, a gift to the work here at this church, there's an offering box placed on the table there in the foyer. You can just drop your donation in there. I also have one more thing that's it's kind of silly, but it, it meant a lot to me. Uh, a few weeks ago, I lost a little red thumb drive that uh, has a lot of information on it. Uh, I was pleased and honored to be uh, to marry, officiate my son and my daughter's weddings. Um, of course, there was several funerals that were you know, I was pleased to or honored to speak at. All of that information was on that zip drive, and I had lost it. Well, for several weeks I've been praying about it. So this morning I decided, you know, I'm gonna wear the great suit today, and Lord willing, when I stick my hand in my pocket, I'm gonna find that zip drive. And by gosh, there it was. So. <laughs> I know that's kind of silly, but it was. It, there's a lot of stuff on there that, that means a lot to me, as well as to my family. So I just want to praise the Lord for that. So, he helps us even when we can't find stuff, and, and we don't have to ask our wife, right? Sue's niece, Patty. Yep, she's been diagnosed with. So she's having. She has been diagnosed with cancer. Uh, her treatments are to start this week. Uh, I'm not sure that's about radiation, but the lung cancer with Dr. Kino was doing okay. Mm -hmm. Ah, so she's gone from lung cancer and now into her hip as well. So we'd just be pleased to lift her up before the Lord. Yes, ma'am. All right, we'll have some more songs. Hey, I just want to say how good it is to see Miss Darlene Harrington over there, too. Everybody, if everybody didn't get to see her, make sure you go give her a hug and kiss <laughs> before we leave. You might, you might not want all those kisses, though. I don't know. <laughs>
Okay, 525, uh, a Christian home. 525 in your hymnal, it's up on the board. Oh, give us homes built firm upon the Savior, where Christ is head and counselor and guide, where every child is taught his love and favor and gives his heart to Christ the crucified. How sweet to know that though his footsteps waver, his faithful Lord is walking by his side. Oh, give us homes with godly fathers, mothers, who always place their hope and trust in him, whose tender patience turmoil never bothers, whose calm and courage trouble cannot dim. Each finds joy in serving others, and love still shines, though days be dark and grim. Oh, give us homes where Christ is Lord and Master, the Bible read, the precious hymn still sung, where prayer comes first in peace or in disaster, and praise is natural speech to every tongue, where mountains move before a faith that's vaster, and Christ sufficient is for old and young. O Lord our God, our homes are thine forever. We trust to thee their problems, toils, and care. Their bonds of love no enemy can sever. If thou art all, place Lord and Master there. and homes to share. Amen. Boy, that's one we could all use to sing more often, isn't it? <laughs> okay, Miss Sue, what did I have on there next? I can't remember. Dwelling in Beulah Lamb. <laughs> Brother Benny said, that's a good one. It is. Dwelling in Beulah Lamb. Can you get on your feet for this one? And let's clap your hands. strife upon my ear is falling, and then I know the things of earth be said on every hand. Doubt and fear and things of earth in vain to me are calling, but 
but none of them shall move me from Beulah land. I'm living on the mountain underneath the cloudless sky. Praise God, I'm drinking at the fountain that never shall run dry. Oh yes, I'm feasting on the manna from a bountiful supply, for I am dwelling in storm of doubt upon the world is beating the sons of men in battle on the enemy withstand safe am I within the castle of God's word retreating nothing then can reach me tis Beulah I'm living on the mountain Underneath the cloud, let me hear it. Praise God, I'm drinking at the fountain that never shall run dry. Oh, yes, I'm feasting on the manna from a bountiful supply, for I am dwelling in Beulah land. Let the stormy breezes blow, their cry cannot alarm me. I am safely sheltered here, protected by God's hand. Here the sun is always shining, here there's none can harm me. I am safe forever in Beulah land. I'm living on the mountain, underneath the cloudless sky. Praise God, I'm drinking at the fountain. That never shall run dry Oh yes, I'm feasting On the manna From a bountiful supply For I am dwelling In Beulah land Viewing here the works of God I sink in contemplation Hearing now His blessed voice I see the way He planned Dwelling in Spirit here I learn a full salvation Gladly I will tarry in Beulah land I'm living on the mountain Underneath the cloudless sky Praise God I'm drinking at the fountain That never shall run dry Oh yes I'm feasting on the manna from a bountiful supply, for I am dwelling in Beulah land. Amen. All right, you can all be seated. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of the week. And let's let the Lord's people say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. So glad to see all of you today. It's too bad that every Sunday is not Mother's Day, isn't it? We had an overflowing crowd on Mother's Day. I think I ought to announce that every Sunday would be Mother's Day. We got a good crowd today where people are still coming back from the coronavirus, and we want to welcome all of you. We want to welcome Bob and Judy back. They've been on an extended vacation, suffering down in Florida. And then imagine when I looked up a while ago and I saw some old friends 
I saw Rose Roan and Vicki, her daughter, here. And they worshiped with us many, many years ago before the breakup of the bell system. And her husband, Bob, uh, taught here at Grace Church when we were in our old building over there across this, the way. And uh, they moved them to Birmingham. They moved another family, the Swearingen family, to Birmingham. We have been for a number of years a kind of church where people come in. Uh, some of them hear the gospel and are saved, and then the Lord moved them somewhere. Only the last few years have we kind of settled down a little bit. And we're thankful for all of you. But uh, Rose and Vicki, so good to see you today. Uh, Bob went to be with the Lord just a, just a little short time ago, uh, a faithful servant of the Lord, serving the Lord down there in the Birmingham area. And now Rose is going to be over in Murfreesboro uh, with, with Vicki. So we're so glad to have you, and I hope you all can make it over here every once in a while. We're going to sing an old hymn. I'm going to let you remain standing. Lynn's going to come up and help me. If you want to use a hymnal, you can. If it's not on the screen, it's number 70. Holy, holy, holy.
That's an old hymn, but I think it's a biblical one. All right, while he's getting ready to bring you the Word of God, I wanted to say something, and he wanted me to say something about the um, man that was here last week, um, Phillips. What was his first name? Barry. <laughs> Barry. <laughs> Barry Phillips. Anyway, he was here with Right to Life. And he failed to tell everybody that there's a lot of goodies that you can take home with you, like these little bracelets, uh, Life is Precious, these pamphlets. And, uh, and this little thing I thought was real cute. It tells all the, the months of development of a child. And then it has two little feet up there that you can put on your lapel. Isn't that cool? And uh, so I gave one to my granddaughter, and she said, oh, good, I can wear those as earrings. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, I wanted to remind you, they're on that back table. And so, uh, pick up a few just to give out uh, these bracelets. I wear mine, and people comment on them, being life is precious. Try to do without it, okay? All right. Thank you. face to ask him to help us this morning as we look into his word. So sing this with me. Father, I stretch my hands to thee. No I'm going to ask you, if you want to turn to it, you can turn to Romans chapter 8. Our text actually is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4, and this is our 14th study under the general theme, Reasons for Christians to Rejoice. We've covered a lot of ground in these 13 studies, today being the 14th study. And in the last couple of studies, including today, I have told you that I was going to address the underlying topic, God's will, man's will, and free will. And I'll tell you what we covered last week. We looked at God and His will, and today we're going to begin to focus on the will of man, the will of of man. Now I want you to look, I said Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 7, and in verse 14 we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, sold unto sin. That which I do, I allow not. That which I would do, that I don't do. What I hate, that's what I do. 
If then I do that which I don't want to do, I consent unto the law that it is good. So then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. Now look at this about the will of man. For to will is present with me. I have a will to do it, but how to perform, how to do it, that which is good I find not. The good that I would do, I don't do. The evil which I won't do, don't want to do, which I would do, <coughs> that when I don't want to do it, <coughs> that's what I do. Verse 20, if I do that which I <coughs> would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. May the Lord add His blessings to the reading of His Word, and let God's people say, Praise the Lord, and you may be seated. Excuse me for taking a little water. The term God may be conceived as either personal or impersonal. This is what we learned in our last study. He may be thought of as an intelligent and rational being or blind force or power. So, in our last study, we learned that the God of Scripture is not an impersonal force or energy, but He is a person. He is a personality. He is the creator of the universe. He is the ruler of the universe. And He is the source of all moral authority in the universe. That is, we as believers do not look to culture or to science to find out what is right or wrong, but we learn from our God what is right or wrong. We learned also in that study that our God is one God in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This means that He is a relationship God. There exists within His being a relationship between the persons in the Godhead. And this means, among other things, that He is able to enter into a relationship with those whom He has created. He knows us, and we were created to know Him. The purpose of life, then, is to know God, to serve God, and to enjoy Him forever. And this brings us today to this subject, the underlying principle. Let's concentrate a little bit today from a little different angle, I think, on the will of man. And the first point, first point I would make to you is this. All human beings possess a will. Now, if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to be over there for a little while. And then we're going to look at John chapter 8. So, I'm telling you where we're going. Genesis chapter 2, and then later, after Genesis 2 and 3, we'll go to John's gospel chapter 8. 
So the first point is this, all human beings possess a will. According to the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, God created man in his own image. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. Now this language, being created in the image of God, does not refer to a physical image. For God, in the essence of his being, according to our Lord Jesus Christ, John chapter 4, verse 24, is spirit. You might have a translation that says God is a spirit, but the A is not there. That's an indefinite article. It says God is a spirit. So this language that man is created in the image of God points to the triune makeup of human beings. That is the body, the soul, and the spirit. Man, because he was created by God in his image, is like God a triunity. The image of God in man affords man two wonderful blessings. Many blessings, but two as pertains to this study today. Two, two wonderful blessings. Number one, the image of God in man means that we have the ability or the capacity for relationships. And the second thing it means is that we have volition or will. So man is capable of having a relationship with others, with others of his kind, even with animals. But most importantly, man possesses the capacity to have a relationship with his creator, his father, the God who created him. Now there are only two kinds of relationships. There can be a harmonious relationship or a hostile relationship. You know, the Scripture emphasizes these two relationships. We have this relationship here, which is horizontal. That's me to you. And then we have this relationship, which is vertical. That's me to God. And Jesus said, if this relationship is not right, this relationship cannot be right. If this relationship is not right, this relationship cannot be right. These two types of relationships I have characterized as harmonious relationships or hostile relationships. Now what I want you to know is that all human beings have a relationship with God whether they realize it or not. It may be a harmonious relationship or it may be a hostile relationship. Now if you'll turn to Genesis chapter 3. It may be a harmonious or hostile relationship. Now Adam, as I have said, was created by God in the image of God that he might have a harmonious relationship with God. But the relationship with God was conditional. It was conditioned upon willful obedience. As we know, from reading Genesis 2 and 3, especially Genesis 3, Adam disobeyed the Lord, thus violating the condition of that relationship by a deliberate, willful act 
He violated the conditions of that relationship. That is, he sinned, in Bible language, he sinned against his father. So what resulted from that single act or that willful disobedience changed everything. And this is where we're going to have our focus today. It changed everything, including the will of man. I hear preachers and teachers and professors and so-called scholars speaking of man in his present condition or man after the disobedient act in the Garden of Eden, speaking of man today as though he's the same as he was before he sinned. Let me assure you the Scriptures indicate that there was a radical change in man as a result of that disobedient act by the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve. A radical change. And that radical change changed everything about our relationship to God and about our ability to have a relationship to God. Now what I want to do is give you seven little changes. You can think about it a lot more. But here's one. In Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, now the serpent, verse 1, was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, has God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Why would he prohibit you from eating of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, You shall not eat of it, lest neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God does know that in the day you eat, Thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and ye will be as gods, knowing or determining for yourself what is good and what is evil. Now, here's the first change. First change is this trust was replaced with suspicion. Trust in God was replaced with suspicion of God. The serpent said, you will, don't you know God has some ulterior motive here in keeping you from eating of this fruit? Why wouldn't he let you eat of every fruit? He has an ulterior motive. He knows the day you eat, you will be as gods, and you will determine for yourself what is good and what is evil. It was the serpent, the enemy of God and man, who planted the seed of suspicion regarding the goodness and the love of God into the ear of Adam and Eve. Notice now that what he's doing is he questioned, this is important because it hinges on the last two studies we've had, and if you want those studies and you didn't get them, all you do is fill out a slip when you leave today. Those of you who are watching by the internet, if you write us, if you can't find it on the internet, write us and we'll send it to you. As they used to say, free and postpaid. <laughs> what he's doing is he's questioning, the serpent is questioning the free love of God. That is, that the Lord loved them freely for no reason. And our suspicion of our Creator 
has made us suspicious of one another. We still do today. What's going on? What's so-and-so going to get out of it? He couldn't just be, or she couldn't just be doing this for no reason whatsoever. There must be some hinge to it. There must be something in there that I don't see. There must be some other reason. And what the serpent did was he planted the seed of suspicion in the ear gate. Oh, remember that little song we used to sing? Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Father, Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little ears, what you hear. What they heard changed their hearing from trust to suspicion. They became suspicious of their father, their heavenly father. Second change. Innocence was replaced with guilt. Here's where we see that. It says here in Genesis chapter 3 and in verse 7 that their eyes were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed the fig leaves together and they tried to run from God. Innocence here has been replaced with guilt. They knew they were naked. They had previously not had the slightest thought of themselves. They were totally filled with and focused upon their God and their Father. What happened was God consciousness was replaced with self-consciousness. You see, when sin matures in us, then it also brings with it guilt. A little baby, a little infant, they don't have any guilt. But as they grow, we've all said, oh, I wish I could keep them small. I I wish I'd keep them there. But you can't keep them there. And as they grow and as they mature, there comes with it knowledge that comes with it experience, and that comes with it all kind of things that they hear and see and experience, and with that comes this guilt, this guilt. And God consciousness is replaced with self-consciousness. The first person we think of is ourselves. You look at a group picture of a lot of people in there, and you're in it, the first person you look for in the group picture is yourself. Don't tell me you don't do it. I know you do. (laughs) You look at you try to see if you can find you to see if it looks anything like you think you should look. I've also found that when we see pictures that we like of ourselves, those are the pictures that don't look a thing like us. <laughs> the ones that we like make us look like somebody else or something else. That's because self-consciousness has replaced God-consciousness. All right, here's the third change. Faith was replaced with fear. This is verse 8. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Faith was replaced with fear. Now notice how the ear gate, what they heard in their ear, has changed how they hear. They had heard the voice of their father many times before. And they heard it as a voice of kindness. They heard it as a voice of love. But now that same voice 
sounds different to them. Now it fills them with fear. Why? It's the same voice. It's because their spiritual ear that leads to the mind and the heart has been altered. They have listened to another voice, a voice which spoke different things, which things they have believed, they have received them and believed them. And as a result, they have been changed. See, God hadn't changed. He's still the same God. But they changed, and they think there's a change in Him. They've been changed. And now they hear differently, and they see differently, and they think differently, and therefore they act differently. They're no longer filled with faith, but with fear. Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, this is the state of all men by nature since the Garden of Eden. Men by nature fear God. The person of God, the Word of God, that's the reason people don't want you talking about God. Our federal government has gotten now where we can talk about anything. We can use curse words. We can use anything we want. We can talk about any philosophy that we want. But we cannot talk about God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person of God, the Word of God, strikes fear into the heart of every natural man and woman. They don't want to hear of God. They don't want to talk about God because they fear God. And since the Garden of Eden, this has been the case. Faith was replaced with fear. All right, here's the fourth change. The fourth change is light was replaced with darkness. They knew only good, and now they have a knowledge of good and evil. Now that they have experienced evil, they will never be the same. Now listen, they can never be good again. Oh, how many things, how many experiences we all have had which we wish we had never had. Things that we've seen we wish we'd never seen. Things we've heard we wish we'd never heard. And from time to time they pop up to disturb our peace with our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is the slanderer the diabolos, the devil. It is the satanas, the, the Satan, the adversary, that brings these things up. You know, it was Martin Luther who was sitting in his study once, writing a commentary. Perhaps it was the great commentary he wrote on the book of Romans. And he said the devil appeared so real to him in his study and began to slander him and to accuse him and say, oh, Martin, the world thinks you're a great man, but we know the truth, don't we? We know the truth about you, don't we? We know this and we know that. And Martin Luther said that the devil was so real that he picked up his inkwell, when they used to dip the pen into the inkwell, and he threw it against the wall. He threw it at the devil against the wall. And when he threw it, he said, but the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sin. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sin. I want you to understand what I'm saying now. Now that they have experienced evil, they'll never be the same, and they can never be good 
again. And it is the devil, it is Satan, it is the adversary that has brought these things and bring them up from time to time. Once we have ventured into darkness, once we have experienced evil, there will always, I don't care what some of these teachers say of the Bible, once you have experienced evil, there will always be a battle to walk in the light as He, our Savior, is in the light. What I want you to understand is warfare for the Christian is the normal Christian experience. You're never going to rise above it. There's always going to be a battle. There's always going to be a warfare. For the greatest Christian, there's always a warfare. We just read Paul, who wrote 14 of the New Testament books, 13 if you don't think he wrote Hebrews, and he said, in me there's the will to do, but he said, I can't find a way to do it. And said, when I would do good, evil is present with me. And I find myself doing what I don't want to do, and not doing what I ought to do. Once we've ventured into darkness, once we've experienced evil, will always be a battle, and especially if you have come to the light, if you've come to Christ, that battle intensifies. Yes, we are victors. Thanks be to God which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, but there's always that battle. And that's why the Bible over and over again says, encourage one another, help one another, call one another, pray with one another, pray for one another. That's why it's important for us to be at worship. Don't let things hinder you from being at worship. This is not a pep rally. This is where we learn about what our God has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's important for the people of God, the children of God, to be here. All right, number five, the fifth change, being filled with the Spirit of God was replaced with being filled with the Spirit of self. Now I want you to listen to this statement. When Adam sinned, self became God. God was pushed off the throne, and self sat in his place as the director and the dictator of all the choices, involves the will, all the choices of life. I said, being filled with the Spirit of God. Adam was filled with the Spirit of God, but when he sinned, being filled with the Spirit of God was replaced with being filled with the Spirit of self. No longer does a natural man say, Lord, what would you have me do about any decision? God has to arrest you. He has to bring you down, just like you read about the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9. When God blinded him and stopped him on the road to Damascus, it was then when he was blinded, he said, Lord, what would you have me do? <laughs> but it wasn't until then. It wasn't until then. What would you have me do? No longer do we by nature, we don't grow up saying, Lord, what would you have me to do? What is your will? We don't grow up doing that. We have to be taught that. Do we not hear this new God, this new God of self crying out over the centuries from the multitudes today? This is my body. I will decide if the life within me gets to live or die, to be born or to be aborted. This is my body. 
I will alter my body as I please. If I don't like what God has made me to be, I'll make myself something else. I will be what I please. This is my life. This is my money. This is my land. This is my house. Mine, mine, mine. Doesn't that sound like a bunch of kids in a kindergarten class? And that's where we are. And I've seen those children. I saw a little boy yesterday. I was at the sports academy. And I saw a little boy, and I knew when I saw him, he was running from his dad. He had a helmet on, and he was running over there. His dad was coming around, look around. I said, he's over there. <laughs> and he finally, he couldn't find him. And then when I got outside, and I was about to pull out, that boy was running across the parking lot, and his dad was running after him, and there was a car headed right toward him. If that car hadn't slammed no brakes, he'd run over him. What was that little boy saying? If that little boy was 20 years old or 25 years old, he would have beat his dad into the ground. And he would have said, you are not going to tell me what I can do. I will do what I want to do. You won't tell me anything. God won't tell me anything. Nobody will tell me anything. I'll do what I please. That's man by nature. That's man by nature. It all belongs to me. And I'll do as I please. I'll not give an answer. I'll not give an account to anyone or to anything. I will not answer to men. I will not answer to God. Maybe some of you, some of you have heard the famous poem Invictus. Invictus from the Latin means unconquerable. Out of the night that covers me, black is the pit from pole to pole. I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeoning of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. In other words, when I die, that's it. There's nothing else. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how narrow and compressed the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. In the natural man, the man who is unregenerate, the man who knows not the Lord, Self is God. And let me say this. The will of man can't do anything about it. Self is God, and the will of man can't do anything about it. For many years, let's look at the seventh, the seventh change, and then I'll tell you what I was going to say. The seventh change is this. Supreme love for the will of God was replaced with supreme love for self. Now, life has been replaced with death. Remember the Lord commanded Adam, in the day you eat, you shall surely die. And he did die. He died immediately spiritually. And then that spiritual death began to impact his body, and it took a while, but finally his body died. Life was all Adam and Eve knew. They knew nothing of death. Well does wisdom say to the children of men, 
on their way to long eternity. Listen to what wisdom says. I can't read it all for you, but it's found in Proverbs chapter 8. Hear instruction. Be wise. Do not refuse it. Blessed is the man who hears me. Blessed is the man watching daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my doors. Whoever finds me, that's the wisdom of God, which is Christ. Whoever finds me finds life and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sins against me, listen now, he that sins against me wrongs his own soul. All they that hate me love death. The sixth change was life was replaced with death. Life was replaced with death. And since Adam chose death in the Garden of Eden, all men without God have a death wish. There's nothing more important than hearing the Word of God. Not business, not your health, not anything else. And there are people that can't sit down and hear the Word of God. They're too busy taking care of business. Too busy taking care of business. There's nothing more important. Since Adam chose death in the Garden of Eden, all men have a death wish. To refuse the Lord, to refuse His Word, to refuse His wisdom is to love death. Proverbs 8, all they that hate me love death. You say, well, they don't hate Him. Well, if they don't want to hear Him, what would you say? don't have time to hear you. I want you to take me to heaven when I die, but I ain't got time for you right now. I'm too busy making money. I'm too busy doing this. That's where we are today in the United States. And then the seventh, the seventh change, which I just mentioned, is supreme love for the will of God was replaced with supreme love for self-will. And here's the crux of the matter regarding the will of man. For many years, psychiatrists said, following Sigmund Freud, They said that the sex drive was the strongest of all drives. But in our lifetime, it is now known that the desire to live is the strongest desire, the strongest drive that we have in man. And we could have found this out from the devil himself. We didn't need the psychiatrist to tell us. In the book of Job, the devil argued that Job would willingly forsake even the Lord if his life depended upon it. Let me read it for you. I'll tell you where it is. You can look at it later. It's Proverbs, Job chapter 2, Job chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in all the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that fears God and turns away from evil. And still he holds fast his integrity, although you moved me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. You see, the faith that's being propagated today says, if you do this and you do that, God will bless you. Is that not right? Okay, I believe that. But suppose, suppose that all of a sudden I'm stuck with a disease and I'm lying on my deathbed and the doctor is shaking his head and the family is crying and I know I don't have much longer. What then will I say of God? What then will I say? Can I trust him then? Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. 
And I have to believe that if he takes me out at a certain time by a certain means, that is for my eternal good and that's for his glory. And I'll trust him by his grace even if it means my life. Well, Satan reasoned that Job could survive losing the skin of his family. That's what skin for skin. The first skin is the skin of his children that had died. But the second skin is his own skin. And he said, skin for skin, all that a man has, he'll give for his life. Satan reasoned that Job would survive losing the skin of his children, but he would not willingly agree to lose his own skin. And if his life depended upon it, he would forsake even his God to save his own life. So there you have it. Where's the will of man? Trust has been replaced with suspicion. Innocence replaced with guilt. Faith replaced with fear. Light replaced with darkness. Filled with the Spirit replaced with being filled with the Spirit of self. Life replaced with death. Supreme love for the will of God replaced with supreme love for self-will. Now turn to John's Gospel, chapter 8, please. The event which occurred in the Garden of Eden is often called the fall. And by the fall, two very important things were radically altered. Number one, the nature of man was radically altered. And number two, man's relationship with God was radically altered. Do you realize that there have been only two men in all of history that have been born son of God? One was Adam, he's called the son of God, and the other one is Jesus, he's called the son of God. When you trace the genealogy, there are two genealogies. One is in Matthew, and the other one is in the other gospel. I believe it's Luke. When you trace Luke's gospel back, he goes all the way back to Adam, and he says, and Adam was the son of God. See, Adam didn't have an earthly father. His father was God. And when Jesus came later on in history, Paul calls him the last Adam, or the second Adam. He came to do what the first Adam didn't do. He came to undo what the first Adam didn't do. Now, the event that happened in the Garden of Eden, we call it the fall. And remember this now, the two major alterations that occurred as a result of the fall, the nature of man was altered, and man's relationship with God was altered. Remember that. And since Adam was the son of God, that means that the son of God became the son of Satan. It means that the righteous man became the unrighteous sinner. It means that Adam believed the serpent rather than his heavenly father. Now the scriptures tell us in many places, and I'll quote this to you, Romans chapter 6 and verse 16, that we are slaves of whom we obey. This is what Paul said to the Christians in Rome. Do you not know that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey? His servants you are to whom you obey. Whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. And this is a continuous, deliberate, willful submission. The word doulos is the word translated slave or bondman. What does it mean? Well, let's ask our Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 8. 
John chapter 8, verse 34. I say unto you, whosoever commits sin is the servant of sin. The same word used in Romans that I just quoted is used here, D-O-U-L-O-S, is the way we would anglicize it. The word doulos, it's the same word in Romans 6.16. And what does it mean? According to the Greek scholars, quote, one who gives himself up to the will of another, end of quote. What does that mean? That's a slave. A slave is one who gives himself up to the will of another. Now, Jesus went on to say, as we're going to look briefly, that only he can set the slave free. Look at verse 36. If the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. The slave cannot set himself free by any means, including an act of his will. Listen to me now. Only Christ can change the will, and thus through that change the slave himself. Only this can be done by the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. The slave that's the slave of sin, the one Jesus is talking about here in verse 34, that slave does not want to exchange what he thinks is freedom for the freedom that Christ gives. Let me show you this. Look at verse 30. Verse 30. As Jesus spake these words, many believed on him. Then verse 31, Jesus said to those Jews once believed on him, that is those who professed to believe, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Watch what they say now. Verse 33, they said, we are Abraham's seed. We have never been in bondage to any man. What are you talking about? How sayest thou, you shall be made free? In other words, you cannot set a free man free. And let's suppose a man is a slave. Let's suppose he's a bond slave. And let's suppose it's evident to everybody that he's a slave, but it's not evident in his own mind. Until he knows he's a slave, he can never be set free. And Jesus says here that only I can set the servant, the slave of sin free, only I can change the will, change the heart, change the mind, and set you free, and you'll be free indeed. Now, I want you to notice something. There are disciples, and there are disciples indeed. Do you see that in verse 31? If you continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed. There are disciples, because it just told us that many believed on him, verse 30. That is, they professed to be his disciples, but are they his disciples indeed? Again, there are disciples, and there are disciples indeed. Paul says the same thing about widows. He said they are widows, and there are widows indeed. And he said the church can only help the widows indeed. Those who are not widows indeed can help themselves. But they can only help those who are widows indeed. And he gives some qualifications. Now, 
what are some characteristics of those who are disciples indeed? First of all, verses 30 and 31, disciples indeed continue in faith regardless. Now I'm going to quote two passages. You can write them down, check them out yourself later, that reinforce this truth. Disciples indeed continue in the faith regardless. 1 John 2.19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that it might be made known that they were not all of us. And 1 John 2.24, let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If that you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you shall also continue in the Son and in the Father. 1 John 2.19, 1 John 2.24. Now, disciples indeed persevere, continue in the faith regardless. Number two, from verse 32 here in John 8, disciples indeed know the truth. They know the truth. What truth? Well, one truth they know from verses 33 and 34, the truth that to be a sinner is to be a slave. This we are taught by Christ's Spirit according to His Word. This is why people get upset when you begin to touch the will of man. They get upset because it's just like a child when the mother or dad tries to help him and the child says, I can do it myself. I can do it myself. Where do they get that? We have the same thing. I know. I mean, Jesus is all right. He died on the cross. He did some things. But you know, I got a will too. No, you're a slave to sin, my friend. You got a will whether you want to eat steak or chicken today, whether you want to eat collard greens or mashed potatoes, but you ain't got no will when it comes to knowing God. I've already painted the seven changes that took place in the Garden of Eden, and that's where man is by nature. He's filled with himself, and that's all he wants. Now, if God will just cooperate with him, so he can call the shots, everything will be fine. He'll get salvation, and God will get glory. But it's going to have to be my way. Disciples know the truth, and the first truth that God teaches them, or one of the first truths that he teaches them, one of the first truths that he teaches them, is that to be a sinner is to be a slave and we are taught by Christ, according to His Word, that that is the truth. That's verses 33 and 34. They said, we're Abraham's seed. We've never been in bondage to any man. What are you talking about to us about being made free? Jesus said in verse 34, if you've ever committed sin, you're the slave of sin. Now, to be a slave, my friends, is to be helpless to help yourself. We don't know anything about that in the West over here. It is, it is to be helpless to help yourself. It is, to set, it is to be unable to set yourselves free. And disciples indeed know this truth as they are taught by the Lord Jesus Christ's Spirit. And here's something else that disciples indeed know. They know the truth about the Christ. What do you mean, Brother Sasser? They know that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. When Jesus asked His disciples who they thought He was, they replied, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ, 
Christ from the Greek, Messiah from the Hebrew, the anointed one, they both mean, you're the Messiah. And what did John say of those who truly believe this? This is good news. Those who truly believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Just listen. 1 John 5, 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Messiah is born of God. 1 John 4, verses 2 and 3, this is how we know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of Antichrist. This is the spirit that's going to rise up in these days in which we live that Jesus is not God in the flesh. That's where the battles are going to begin. This is that spirit of Antichrist whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already it is in the world. 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Disciples indeed know the truth about Christ that Jesus is the Messiah. And then finally, disciples indeed love the Word of Christ. They love to hear a word about Christ, and they love the Word that reveals Christ. Notice verse 37. I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. My word has no place in you. In another place Jesus said, you're not of God because you don't hear the word of God. He that is of God heareth God's words. You, you hear them not because you're not of God. Disciples indeed love the word of Christ. They love a word about Christ and they love the word that reveals Christ. And then finally, disciples indeed, and I have already mentioned this and I'm going to reiterate it, Disciples indeed will continue in the truth regardless of any struggles. Are you a disciple indeed? Did he save you or did you save yourself by an act of your will? If he saved you, did he save you accidentally or did he save you on purpose? Who gets the glory for your salvation? You and Jesus got a good thing going? Or can you say with the Apostle Paul, I was dead in trespasses and sins, and he came along and he called me and he revealed himself to me and he showed me the truth of who I was, and I called out on him and he revealed himself to me as my Lord and my Savior, my God. Can you say that? Well, if you... Remember those, those seven changes. Suspicion of God, guilt, fear, darkness, supremacy of self, spiritually dead, supreme love of self-will. You'll know that a person who is a slave cannot liberate himself. That's why Jesus emphasizes, if the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. If you are standing in Christ, then here's what I say to you from Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, 
and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. You know, years ago, Rose, when you and Vicky, Vicky was a little girl, and your son Robert was here, and Bob was here. Some of you will remember this. Joe Moran had an aunt named June Moran, and Miss June was here for years and years and years. I think Miss June was a means of inviting y'all to come. And uh, Bob was teaching, Bob Rohn was teaching a class, and in those days, uh, there was a home out here about two or three miles away, and it had some people in the home who had been through some rough places in life. And there was a, there was a woman there that all the women of this church just helped her. Shirley Murphy uh, took her in. Shirley, Shirley was a beautician in those days, and she took her in and fixed her hair, and she was known infamously as Broadway May. And she used to say, she used to say that she was the real mother of Elvis Presley. And I have to say that Elvis Presley looked more like her son than the woman he said was his mother. I have to say that. But she was known all up and down the lower broad area as Broadway May. We didn't know that at first when she came. And uh, so Miss June would pick her up. And here she comes, the... the uh, the southern lady, like June Moran, with Broadway May in her front seat of her car. And Bob was teaching a class, and he didn't know about Broadway May. And he was talking about how we are sinners. And he started talking about prostitutes. And he said, you know, we've all read about prostitutes. We've all heard about prostitutes. And this is the way Broadway may talk, the way I'm going to impersonate her. He said, we know about prostitutes. We've heard about prostitutes. Anybody ever here ever known a prostitute? I have. And Bob said, well, you know, maybe you've, maybe you've known about a prostitute, but, you know, you hadn't been that close to him. And she said, I was one. I don't think Bob knew what to do at that point. <laughs> I was one, she said. But you know what? Broadway May loved being among the children of God, the people of God who loved her just like she was and who demonstrated the love of God and the grace of God in Jesus Christ by doing what they could for her. And I suppose she's out of this world now. That's what we as children of God, if we've been set free, you need to look at all of your family, your friends, your colleagues, the people that you hobnob with. Those are lost souls, most of them. Have mercy on them. Be a witness to them. They may not listen to you, but invite them. Come to worship with me. I'll come pick you up. Men, the souls of men, the value of the souls of men cannot be estimated, and yet they can. Jesus said, if a man loses his own soul, if he gains the whole world, loses his own soul, what shall he give in exchange for his soul? Remember that? 
Let me tell you this. Let me tell you how much the soul is worth. It's, much, it's worth the price that was paid for it by the Son of God. If you could put a price on His blood, you can put a price on the souls of those whom He has redeemed. Oh, my friends, God is glorified when souls are saved. He does the saving, but He does use witnessing and inviting in all of these things. May the Lord add His blessings on the teaching of His Word. Let's stand together. And I'll pronounce the benediction, and I hope all of you who remember Rose and Vicki will talk to them, say hello to them, identify yourself. You know, nobody ages but everybody else. You know that. You see other people and you say, oh, I don't hardly recognize them. They probably don't recognize you either. Yeah. I'm so glad that they came today. Brings back wonderful, wonderful memories of their family. And I hope they'll be able to come back again some. Now, Lynn shared with you briefly, the fellow who was here last week, Barry Phillips, failed. He was so excited about talking to you. He gave such a great report about this congregation. Uh, he failed to talk about some of the things he had for us. And when you go out the door there on the right, I think on the table there on the right, there are a bunch of these little things that you can pick up, little pins. I think there's a pen out there that has two little tiny feet on it and things like that. Therefore, you're taking. I'd like to suggest that our church, uh, on a regular basis, support the uh, Right to Life movement. I'd like to support that myself of, uh, in Tennessee, for sure. All right, let us sing. So we'll sing, Under the Blood, Under the Blood, I dismiss you. Under the blood of Jesus, safe in the shepherd's fold. Under the blood of Jesus, safe while the dismiss you. How is Charlene? Is she better? Okay, Charlene has been very, very ill and uh, I tried to call her a number of times, couldn't call, sent a text, just couldn't get through. Uh, but the rest of the family is here today and we want to remember her in prayer and thank the Lord that she is better today. Okay? Our Father, we call upon you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. And I pray, Father, that you teach us all that except for his grace, except for his mercy, except for the power of his spirit, our wills remained enslaved to self and to sin and to our own way and to our own glory. Have mercy upon these United States of America and send us, O oh God, and heaven sent awakening 
that men might once again, and women and boys and girls, call upon the name of the Lord. Oh, Father, have mercy upon us, we ask in the name of Christ, our Lord. And now may the God of the everlasting covenant make you perfect in every good work, working in you, that which is well-pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray, Amen.